The I'm Fine podcast is produced by Lemoore Media LLC and is run by Project Headspace and Timing. Project Headspace and Timing is a 501c3 that I started in 2017 after a veteran that I was a medic to decided to pull over on the side of the road and end his life. As an organization, Project Headspace and Timing works on veteran advocacy and veteran outreach. What that means is through the advocacy uh, perspective, we try to connect veterans to other resources as early on into the process as possible. What that entails is early contact with veterans, forming a safety net with their family members, friends, and fellow service members, educating them on the resources, and when that veteran is ready to get help, we are there to make sure that they get the help that they need. The outreach aspect is put there to get veterans together to do productive and constructive things, whether it's out in nature, working with other businesses, anything to get them out around other veterans where those good conversations can happen if they want to have them. If you are interested in finding out more information about our organization, please visit projectheadspaceandtiming.org, our Facebook page, Project Headspace and Timing, or our Instagram, which is Project Headspace and Timing. And if you would like to donate to our organization, uh, please visit our website, projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Scroll to the bottom and you will find a link to our Venmo. If you'd like to send us a check, our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 382, Mantino, Illinois, 60950. And if you'd like to sponsor or have any other questions, feel free to reach out to me at Eric P. P. and Paul at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Thank you. On today's episode of the I'm Fine podcast, we are going to be talking about imposter syndrome and feeling burned out, two really important things that a lot of people have felt, whether they know it or not, and we're going to be talking about it with our friend, Sarah Marion. Welcome to the I'm Fine podcast with your freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional hosts, Eric Peterson and Brad Stozik. So you got notes today. I do have notes today. You brought notes, and I'm really proud of you for bringing notes. Thanks, man. Well, like I said, dude, we're we're figuring it out. Um, I mean, we're uh, 12 episodes, 13 episodes, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I use my computer, and I write notes doing that. And you are trying to figure out what works out best for you. And in doing that, there's going to be uh, growth. There's going to be we're figuring it out. There's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some oopses and ums or whatever but like i applaud you for trying to do something different man well thank you yeah man how's thank everything you. else been oh school just started back up so uh <laughs> tough yeah i this got is a good episode for you got three semesters left man that's it that's it and then you're gonna be a teacher and then i'm gonna be a teacher a history teacher yep so hell yeah dude if you're listening and you have kids <laughs> good luck <laughs> you could potentially be the teacher for my kids i could oh my god yeah. i think i'm fine with that yeah. I, think, I really genuinely mean this. I think you're going to be an awesome teacher, man. Oh, thanks, I really dude. think you're going to be a fucking great teacher. Thank you. Uh, and how's everything else going on the workout journey and fucking Operation Appalachian Trail? Fantastic, man. I've been hitting the gym every day, walking, still dropping weight, eating good, still yep. feeling good. So That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Do you have an idea of when you want to do that yet? Um, 
Probably just before school starts, oh, I would assume. I'm so looking forward to going out there. And we should bring, I might see if I can get like a, an I'm Fine podcast-like flag. That'd be sweet. Dude, that would be badass. That'd you know cool. what I mean? Um, but no, so today we are going to be talking about two things. We're going to be talking about imposter syndrome and feeling burned out and how they're tied together. Um, imposter syndrome, and I'll probably reiterate this a few times. I didn't know about it at all until I listened to a podcast called Renegade Woman with our guest, uh, Sarah Marion. And they kind of talked about what it meant to have imposter syndrome. And once I learned about it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Moreover, there's a test that you can take. I took the test and I scored as somebody that had like moderate imposter syndrome symptoms and things because of how much I second guess myself, how much I think I don't deserve uh, the successes that I've, I've had. Um, but I know you looked up quite a bit too. What did you yeah. find out about imposter syndrome? So well, I found out what it was. I had no idea what imposter syndrome, what I thought right. imposter syndrome was, what I thought you were pretending to be somebody else. Right. That's I what like, I oh, thought hey. too. Yeah. All right. But no, um, imposter syndrome is feeling like your accomplishments are basically achieved because of luck and you've done no work. Um, and yeah, and basically all of your hard work that you put in to achieve these accomplishments, excuse me, mean it means absolutely nothing. And I don't know where you draw the line between being humble and having imposter syndrome because part of me, like I genuinely believe that a good amount of my success or whatever you would call it is because of luck because it's based on luck that I even exist. It's uh, so many things. There's so many variables. There's so many ways that the world could go where like, I am incredibly thankful for everything because I feel like it could all be taken away in an instant. Yeah. But as far as imposter syndrome is concerned, dude, there were so many times, especially as a contractor overseas, like I worked with a lot of guys like I'm very open and upfront about my military experience. I was in the National Guard, infantry, and then I got out. And I won combat tour, did my job, that was it. But when I was a contractor, I was with these guys that were like, there was a couple of SF guys, like a couple of dev crew guys, Rangers, uh, Marsoc. Like you had all these special operations guys. And like, I'm like, man, I don't belong here. And what I would try to do is at least work as hard as I could just to show them that I at least had the work ethic yeah. and would be willing to learn uh, from them. But like, yeah, I just realized after looking into imposter syndrome that I kind of dealt with it a little bit myself. I mean, what about you? Um, I'm more on like the burnout. I, yeah. I, you know what? Maybe I, I don't know. Cause I've always, my entire life, I've always just tried to do things to make people happy. So maybe mm -hmm. And they're related. They are. So, okay. So like you brought up, uh, being burned out. Yeah. So from the World Health Organization website, while it's not in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, um, being burned out is in the 11th revision of the International Classification of Diseases, or ICD-11, as an occupational phenomenon, but it is not classified as a medical condition. So being burned out is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by three dimensions. One, feeling energy depletion or exhaustion. Two, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job. Three, reduced professional uh, efficacy. So essentially, 
You don't give a shit. You're too tired to give a shit. And you stop doing your job because of it. Sounds like the entire last year that I was in the Marine Corps. <laughs> no, it sounds like it sounds like so many people that I know, period, that yeah. are just getting burned out because yeah. you're doing so much at work, in your personal life. Your kid has like a baseball game every day and three times on the weekends. Like, yeah, when you start feeling those three things, you need to understand that you could be burned out. And as we're going to get into later, being burned out can have some significant impact, uh, can have a significant impact on your mental health and can lead to other issues. Um, and it's, it's, it's related to imposter syndrome uh, because imposter, uh, excuse me, imposter syndrome says that you don't belong here. You're not good enough for this. And because of that, you increase your chronic workplace, uh, workplace stress. You become exhausted. You increase mental distance from your job and the belief that you don't belong there. You start using negative language towards yourself or your job, and then boom, you're in it. Uh, so it can be really impactful. It can be really scary. And we're going to talk to somebody who's dealt with a little bit of the imposter syndrome, who's dealt with being burned out, who wears a lot of hats. Uh, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring her on to have her talk about this. Um, the person that we're having in here today has experience in these fronts. She's going to enlighten us a bit. Uh, into those experiences, how she's been able to deal with them, and moreover, how she was able to create her own consulting firm uh, to help other leaders uh, deal with them. So when we come back, we will be here sitting down with our friend, Sarah Marion. Back with our guest, uh, Sarah Marion. Now, Sarah has held the dual role of President and CEO of the Mantino Chamber of Commerce and Marketing and Community Relations Director for the Village of Mantino, while also serving as a board member for the Illinois Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives, United Way of Kankakee and Iroquois Counties, member of the Mantino Rotary Club, member of the Kiwanis Club of Kankakee County. Uh, she just started her own consulting business, Athena Advisory, geared towards guiding chambers of commerce and nonprofits to achieving their goals to better align with their mission through professional coaching, strategic planning, and board development workshops. She's also a health coach, uh, and in her spare time, she breathes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much for taking the time to be on here. Uh, first, before I get into it, because we just talked about how you haven't really talked much about Athena Advisory. Would you mind saying why you chose that name, Athena Advisory? Because I think that's a pretty awesome name. Yeah, I would love to. So, um, you know, finding a name for your business is hard. Mm -hmm. um, and I just kept racking my brain. And for some reason, an owl came to my, like, mind. It just very strange. I don't, don't ask me why. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was thinking, what can I use? How can I use the word owl in my, you know, cause owl means wisdom. Um, the next day, my friend, Laura, who's a medium said, Hey Sarah, can I do a card pull for you? I just, I'm just feeling that you need a card pull. So she does a card pull and what comes up? An yeah. owl. It's your spirit animal. I'm I'm like, okay. Yep. It's 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 for a reason. So I start Googling like what's associated with an owl. Sure enough, Athena, the Greek goddess, mm -hmm. came up. What Athena means is good counsel, strategy, and wisdom, which is awesome. Right. It goes right along the lines of what I'm doing. Yeah. And then she's always accompanied by a little owl, which serves as a symbol of wisdom, intuition, and observant learning or listening, sorry. And that's going to appear in all my marketing too. So that's awesome. It all just came together for me. 
And you have to have a meaning behind it. Obviously, it's your thing and you want it to mean something. And I think when you have something that that that's that genuine, it resonates through everything else that you're doing because yeah. you cared so much about why you chose that name. So yeah. that's very cool. Yeah, um, so first off, just thank you very much for making the time to be on here. Um, I don't know how you do that because you're a part of like 47 organizations, uh, but I would imagine that uh, your organizational skills have a lot to do with that. I know um, I've told you this before, but you've been huge uh, in helping Project Headspace and Timing become what it is today from working alongside you. Uh, for so many different things, I always admired your ability just to be able to shoulder so much and make it look really easy. Um, but I listened to an episode that I talked to you about of, I think it was The Renegade Woman. Mm -hmm. Is that the name yeah. of the podcast? Uh, I listened to an episode with you on it of The Renegade Woman podcast where you talked about your experiences with imposter syndrome. Um, before I get too much deeper into that, um, as far as like Sarah's context, what's made her who she is, there's a lot of context in that episode. I definitely recommend anyone checking it out, uh, her episode on Renegade Woman, if you want to understand a little bit more of that background. But before we get further into imposter syndrome, I wanted to ask you, have you always been the type of person that liked being involved in so many things? Or is that something that changed like when you became an adult? Um, I always had a lot of interests. So as a kid, mm. I would go from playing office to playing school to playing like a priest. Yep. <laughs> so I've always had a lot of interests. That sounds so weird. But I, you know, They're I love doing all the things. Yeah. You know, and so I think that kind of translated over into adulthood. Like lightning in a bottle. Like I feel the same way at times in that there's so many things that interest me. There's so many things that I'm interested in and I love learning. And so I love being involved in all of those different things, Yeah, which then usually means that you're now a part of another organization or something, right? <laughs> yes. uh, but no, so, okay. So that episode that you talked about, uh, imposter syndrome. Now, per an article in Time Magazine, uh, imposter syndrome is the idea that you've only succeeded due to luck and not because of your talent or qualifications. Uh, it was first identified in 1978 by psychologists Pauline Rose Krantz and Suzanne Imes, excuse me, Clance, I think that's right. Uh, in their paper, they theorized that women were uniquely affected. Since then, research has shown that both men and women experience imposter feelings. And she published a paper later acknowledging that imposter syndrome is not just limited to women. Uh, she also created an imposter syndrome test. Uh, today, imposter syndrome can apply to anyone who isn't able to internalize and own their successes, per psychologist Audrey Irvin. Uh, Sarah, could you tell us a bit about your experiences with imposter syndrome? Yeah, well, um, pretty much my whole life, I've never felt that I was qualified. Um, you know, even going into, I got a degree to become a teacher. Um, even going into that, I still was like, man, I, I don't know all the things to be able to teach these kids. And I think we always kind of think we have to know all the things before we dive in. And I think that's part of where that comes in. Um, and so, you know, after I transitioned out of becoming a teacher, I applied to the Chamber of Commerce in the village of Mantino for the job I'm in now. And oh man, talk about imposter syndrome there, leaving the teaching industry to be in the business world. That's that's a big shift. And so that was really like, man, I, I don't know anything. You know, right. I, um, they took a chance on me, you know, on paper, seeing that I, you know, am, was a, t a first grade teacher for six years. 
how does that translate into running a chamber and, and events for the, the community? Um, they did take a chance on me and, you know, I proved to them that I was fully capable. I proved to myself that I was capable. Did I know all the things? Absolutely not. Right. But, um, like you, Eric, I love learning. Learning is, uh, my full-time job actually. Um, and I just listened to a podcast with Adam Grant and he said that confidence is overrated and humility is underrated. Mm. And, um, what you really need to show your confidence is in your ability to learn. And Mm. so like that, every, every job that I've gone into, I've been very open. Like I love learning. I will do everything I can to learn about what it takes to be successful. I may not know the answers now, but I will. And I think that's got, like really helped me get over that imposter syndrome as I go. Right. Well, I think that too, one of the things that you just brought up, um, just feeling that you have to know everything. I feel like that when I was a kid, I just assumed that adults had everything figured out. Like, I just assumed that once you became an adult, you knew everything and everything was going to be okay. And then you become an adult and you start looking around. You're like, oh, no one has it figured out. (laughs) And the people that I think might least have it figured out are the ones that act like they have it most figured out, which is why I always appreciated humility. You know what I mean? But through everything that you did, like, because one thing that you said before we started recording was that even now on this new venture, you're still dealing with some of the, the, the pieces of imposter syndrome through all of your experiences when you were with the chamber and doing everything that you were doing, did you feel like you were overcoming all of that stuff? Was it still, were, were some of those symptoms still prevalent in your life or did you kind of figure out how to get it handled up until this point? Got it handled. Yeah. Right when I got it handled, yep. I decided to jump off and start my own business. Oh man. So Hold I'm right back to square one with that imposter syndrome and it's, it's coming on heavy. So I need to just keep reminding myself of that learning piece. Yes. I, I, I don't know all the answers. I'll, I'll, I'll learn the answers and I'll learn along with my clients, but, um, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm the expert. No one is an expert in right. me. I mean, how, how can there be? And, and I've talked about this before. Like if you were to draw out a pie chart, of all the things that there are to know, and you were to carve out the smallest piece, that smallest piece would probably in reality be all of the things that you actually know. And then you would draw a slightly smaller piece or a slightly bigger piece. And that would be all of the things that you know you don't know. And then the rest of that pie is everything you don't know you don't know. Because the more you learn, the less you realize that you know, because it just uncovers this whole world of stuff that you just didn't understand because you never found yourself dealing with it. So yeah, I think that's a really practical way to talk about that. Uh, Brad, you found some stats on imposter syndrome. What what did did. you find? Um, I found that it affects, so there's the five types and it affects anywhere from nine to 82% of people. It's a big amount. Like, I'm sorry, they did a study of 62 different like groups Mm -hmm. and it was, yeah, nine to 82% of people were affected by one of the types of imposter syndrome. And I like imposter syndrome. So there's another episode where we had, um, eating psychology coach, uh, Emily Lavoie on here and like imposter syndrome was the same to me as listening to Emily talk in that I never even thought about it at first. And then once I heard about it and I started reading into it, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, this is like really evident in myself and a lot of other people that I know. Like I had no idea 
how how I miss this, and I think it's because when it comes to mental health, the generations before us, it was a lot of the sweep it under the rug, don't talk about it, whatever, whatever. And now, as a society, we're unpacking so much stuff that we're realizing that all of these other things exist, or somebody brought it up before and nobody took it seriously, and now we're understanding how significant of an issue it is. You know what I mean? And that's how I felt about imposter syndrome when I listened to that episode of uh, Renegade Woman. And I found that uh, 70% of people experience imposter feelings at some point in their lives, period, uh, according to an article published in the International Journal of Behavioral Science. 70% 70 of people feel like they don't belong wherever they are. They don't feel like they're worthy. And that's very very sad to me. You know what I mean? But I know that there are a lot of different uh, types. What did you find as far as the different types? Um, So there was the perfectionist, um, the natural genius, Mm -hmm. which was they think that they like, you know, everything about every subject, about every, like everything. Right. Um, Jeez, I can't see. You are blind. <laughs> Boom. See, you can use those jokes as much as you want. You really uh, don't take advantage of those jokes enough. I don't. Again. You're sorry. right. I Go should. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I can't really read this one. Sorry. Um, and then there was um, the expert. Again, you think you're an expert on one subject. And then I found this one pretty um, interesting. It's called the superhero, where you think you have to be everything to everybody all the time. Yeah. And you just constantly are got to do this for this person, have to do that for that person. And you're just go, 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 go. And I don't think those are the type of people that don't take the time for themselves. Yeah. And I found the same thing. Like you said, the five types, perfectionist, natural genius, rugged individualist or soloist, (laughs) expert, and the superhero. So yeah, like you were saying, um, and I know Sarah, you know a little bit more about this. Would you identify with one of those multiple? What do you think? Probably multiple, yeah, the too. perfectionist and the superhero. Yep. Um, Same. Definitely. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Uh, validation for one. I need yeah. to feel that like, you know, I'm doing the right thing for everyone. And mm-hmm. um, if I don't, then I might uh, be looked at differently. Right. But regardless of all the experiences that you had, it's always so interesting that despite everything that you've done up up to this point, all of the the feathers in your cap, like that you start this new venture and then you're right back to square one again, even though you know that you've accomplished all those things, but it's so hard to remind yourself of that. And I always felt like there's not much I can control. Like you, you can sort of control how smart you are. You can sort of control a lot of these things, but there are limits. There are natural limits for you as far as physically what you're capable of, like whatever. But the one thing I knew I could always control is how hard I worked. And so I always told myself, if I'm not the smartest or the best or the fastest, I can work the hardest. I know I can do that. And I didn't realize that per the imposter syndrome definition of the superhero, uh, I found it said that people who work themselves harder and harder to measure up because they believe that they're phonies in comparison to their real deal colleagues, they become addicted to the validation from working, not the work itself. And that's what I was doing. I was almost becoming addicted to the validation from working hard because I just wanted people to know that I care enough to work hard. You know what I mean? But I didn't realize how much imposter syndrome could be weighing on my own mental health yeah um and then as far as the perfectionist is concerned so 
that also I kind of identified with because what I found in that one was the perfectionist feels like if they want something done right, they have to do it themselves. I'm notorious for that. Are you kind of the same way? Oh, gosh. I have a very hard time delegating. Yeah. Um, And when we hired Kathleen, uh, that really was good for me because it it helped me to learn how to delegate. And and so that that was good. And she's phenomenal. Yes. She's an excellent. So lucky to have her. Uh, Brad, what did you find as far as where imposter syndrome comes from? Where it comes from? Yep, yep. Uh, What did I find? Oh, um, geez, so sorry, guys. Don't be. Uh, so parenting styles mm-hmm. is one of them. Um, uh, personality traits that you have. Yep. Um, existing mental health syndromes already, like yep. things that you already have. Um, and new responsibilities is a big, uh, trigger also for imposter syndrome. Yeah. I found those. I also saw like pop, like, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but I wrote your notes down too for me, possible childhood environment issues. Mm. And so when I think about myself, I, at least I think the issues that I have again, for sure stem from childhood stuff in that I've talked about it before and without kicking a dead horse. I always felt like I was on the outside because honest, and this sounds dumb, but it's because I looked different. Like it was always like I was in a school where it was predominantly white and black and there were zero Asians. And so I always just felt like I had to work harder to prove myself to whatever, whatever. And that's where that kind of stuff I think started to form for me. Uh, What do you think, like, where do you think your imposter syndrome stemmed from? If you had to try to peg something down, Sarah? Uh, Probably just... You know, as a kid, always wanting to fit in and be part of the the group. So very similar. I mean, you know, but uh, just trying to prove myself to make sure I'm I'm part of that group and get that recognition. Um, and you know, I I didn't grow up in a house with a bunch of kids. It was just me. My all my sisters had moved out of the house. Yeah. But I was always seeking that like. Good job, Sarah. Right. Like you did it, and I don't. I don't know. I'm. I still look for that. It's yeah. so silly. Everybody does, though. Yeah. It's not, you know, everybody likes to know that they're just good yeah. at what they do. Like we had, we interviewed uh, Sebastian Younger, New York Times bestselling author, wrote Tribe, and he talks about some of the tenant policies in being happy, and like one of them is just feeling authentic, and then another is feeling good at what you do. And then I think the third one has to do with like feeling like you're a part of a community mm-hmm. or something. So like that checks the bo- all three of those boxes because you're getting validation from your colleagues that you're doing a good job. So I think that it's just our natural instinct to like kind of go after that. You know what I mean? And yeah. to want to feel those types of things. I, I'm always looking for validation from like from my wife or from anybody. Like if I do something, yeah. I, like I'm not expecting praise, but like, oh, hey, thanks for doing the dishes or hey, thanks for doing this. Or, you just want to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. You're on so the right track. your love language is words of affirmation. I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good book if you guys haven't read that. Um, what's the book? Um, your love language, the five love languages. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it could be it, it, in the workplace. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's yeah. with a spouse or whatever, but, um, it's really interesting to be able to understand what, um, everyone's love language is. So you can kind of work with them in, in a more, uh, productive way. 
that was another thing that I would put next to like imposter syndrome and like eating psychology. When my wife first talked talk to me about love language, I did like the quintessential husband <laughs> thing. I was like, all right, babe. And I just kind of like yeah. rolled my eyes. Yeah. But then Crushed she started, yeah, but then she started talking to me about it and she has, I believe she has that book because mm-hmm. I was like kind of perusing through it one day and I was like, yeah, no, it is super important because my wife didn't necessarily understand what my love language is and I didn't understand hers. And so you're, you're doing things that are just that you believe are your way of showing affection or care for somebody, but they don't understand that because they don't understand your love language. So yeah, I definitely found a benefit to that too, but I'll never tell her that. Um, (laughs) She'll hear this maybe. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Uh, Then, okay, Brad, another thing that you uh, were looking into. So how to cope with imposter syndrome. What did you find? Um, ways to cope with talking to somebody, either friends or professional. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What other ways to cope? Oh, I really need to get my life together, guys. Yeah, man. <laughs> Jeez. I'm just so happy you brought notes today, dude. I know. I you know. know what I mean? We're doing our best. We know? are. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah. So acknowledging your feelings is the number one. Like acknowledge what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Build self confidence. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can do that, but you know. Um, challenge your doubts mm-hmm. and um, uh, um, avoid comparing yourself to others. I feel like those are important with like anything across the oh, board, right? Yeah. yeah I, I, those are. The one really that stuck out to me. I just think of taking action. Like when you're you're stuck and you're feeling like you know. You're not good enough. You just got to take action and and make the steps to 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 your your goal. Because if you don't, then you'll stay stuck, yes. and you'll keep telling that same story over and over again, and you you won't get anywhere. So it's just pushing through and taking that that action. And how easy is it though to get into that place and then where you're just you're going to lay on your couch, you're going to get out your phone, you're just going to start scrolling endlessly, thinking about all the other things that you should be doing or could be doing better, and it's not productive. And then you're creating more anxiety because you're pushing off that thing that you need to do. So yeah. like just being able to accomplish something at least kind of gets you out of that. I feel yeah. like, yeah. and acknowledging your feelings, I just feel like is one of the foundational principles for like anything that ever happens to you mentally is just taking that pause and asking yourself, okay, like, what am I feeling right now? What am I going through right now? And acknowledging that because it gives you like, I think a base to move from, uh, you, you kind of already answered this, but what would you say the best way for you to cope with the imposter syndrome where, like you said, like I could see the confidence when you were just talking about, no, like I had it handled. Yeah. yeah how did you get there? Um, I think, again, taking action, but but doing things outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, like there's always little tips and tricks to get yourself outside of your comfort zone, like um, asking for uh, something from a stranger. So doing like these little things to really push you outside your comfort zone. So when you go for the big things, it's not as as hard because you've been practicing that skill of, you know, um, doing the hard things. Um, but I think like, as I've gone on in life, the imposter syndrome is there, but I have the tools now to navigate it and to recognize it. Because if you don't, if you aren't aware of it, you don't really know what it is and you can't put your finger on it. So it's hard to take action if you're not, you're not like putting a name to what's going on. Right. And I, th- a couple of things that you just 
mention from that. Like the first thing, and I'd ha- I think I talked to you about this a little bit before, uh, Sarah, but like I'm a big fan of stoicism. I've always been a big fan of stoicism. And one of the things that one of my favorite uh, stoics, Marcus Aurelius, talked about in Epictetus before him was like, one of the things that's, that is extremely beneficial is to think about what your worst fear is. And what is that worst fear? Is it to not have enough money for food, not have a place to sleep, not have enough money for clothes, to wear the cheapest clothes that you have, dirty clothes that you have, sleep on the floor, and eat the cheapest, the in his words, like the scantiest of fare, so like rice and beans or whatever. And you do that to tell yourself, is this what I'm worried about? Because I just did it. So it's not that big of a deal. I can deal with this. And if you can deal with that, you can deal with anything else. Mm -hmm. So I think to push yourself outside of your comfort zone is so incredibly important because when you take that first step, like you talked before about public speaking and how that was like kind of a hurdle initially. Mm -hmm. Like the first time I had to speak to like, it was like 500 some people that set the tone for everything afterwards because I knew that I could do it because I did that. You know what I mean? I mean, how is that kind of how you felt when it comes to like public speaking and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. Is Once that you do the hard thing, mm-hmm. then it makes it easier to do the next hard thing. Yeah. It doesn't change, you know, some of those scary feelings, but you know that you can get through it. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. like you, you've worn the dirty clothes, you've eaten the 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 rice and beans. You right. can you can do it. And the other important thing that you brought up so reminded me. I had a veteran recently that we had sent through an inpatient mental health and substance abuse program. And uh, he had a relapse. And so when he had his relapse, he gave me a call to talk to me about it. And he was incredibly down on himself, understandably so, because he'd worked so hard and he had this relapse. But what he didn't realize was that when he had this relapse this time, he had so many, like he was looking at it from a different perspective because he'd been through rehab now. He identified what was happening. And what took us years and years and years to get him to the place to be able to admit now only took him a couple of days and he immediately knew the plan moving forward. So it's like when you take a new skill on or where you learn how to overcome something and you have that initial setback, it's so hard for some people, I think, to understand that that's not just a nail in your coffin. Like that's why you went through therapy, through rehab, through whatever, to learn how to deal with it better next time. So I think, yeah, being able to catch that stuff uh, and be more proactive, you know, means so much to your own mental health and how you deal with it, right? Um, Okay, and then let me see here. So now, as far as being burned out is concerned, uh, I know we defined it before the episode, but uh, per an article on fortune.com, It said burnout is dangerous. Uh, Symptoms include exhaustion, reduced productivity, cynicism, uh, according to the World Health Organization. It can also lead to mental health and uh, mental and physical exhaustion, a loss of identity, uh, and feeling a lack of accomplishment. Uh, And that's for the Mayo Clinic. Uh, Experts believe that burnout can also lead to depression. Factors like family history and your personality can also make you a little bit more susceptible to that. So I think everybody is pretty familiar with what it's like to feel burned out. Um, and Sarah, and every time I, if I ever describe how many groups you're a part of, I'm just going to keep increasing the number every time. <laughs> so like, you're a part of like 78 groups. Uh, how Have you ever experienced being burned out? And if so, how did you notice? Uh, it is, a, burnout's sneaky. Yep. It like, you don't realize it till it's there. Yeah. Um, yes, I think 
um, when I really feel the most burned out in, in my career is when I have too many things going on at once. Like really, I feel it during Oktoberfest time, if I can be brutally honest. Um, it takes a lot out of me. Events um, are exhausting. Yeah, events yeah. are very exhausting. And it's a four-day you know, it's, it's a lot. And so I do feel the burnout then, but I will say throughout my career with the, the village and the chamber, um, what's helped with that is they've really invested in me, meaning that, um, they've given me opportunities to attend conferences every year and, uh, go to different learning engagements, go to the U.S. Chamber to get my Institute of Organization Management um, designation. So they've invested in me in that way, and that has helped with my burnout because I've get, been given the tools I needed to be successful in my job. Yep. When you don't have the tools you need, when you don't have the resources, when you don't have, you know, a group of um, colleagues or, you know, peers to to connect with, that's when you get burned out. So I've been very blessed and I, I, I'm really going to continue preaching this to, you know, nonprofits and chambers that they need to be investing in their leader because you're only as strong as your leader, you mm -hmm. know, and, and if your leader is, is having a hard time, your organization's going to feel it big time. Oh my God. Yeah. That's incredibly important. And like, I, I don't know. I know I've talked to Brad about this. I've talked on the podcast about it. But like, again, and we'll talk a little bit wh about why imposter syndrome and burnout uh, are so related. But like a couple of years ago, when I was working for my former employer, Serta Pro, I was working like, you know, 40 to 60 ish hours easy a week there, and then doing all the nonprofit stuff. I didn't realize you said it best. It's really sneaky being burned out. And I didn't realize I was getting burned out until I literally started developing rashes on my upper body and my heart. I started having like heart palpitations and I met with my, my uh, primary care about it. And she was pretty, they did a bunch of tests and she was like, yeah, this is from stress. This is from stress that you're putting your body through. And it's amazing that stress can have that type of effect on you. You know what I mean? And Brad, you mentioned a little bit about being burned out also, but that's more primarily with what school? School. Being, being blind holy <laughs> I mean, that's, shit that's exhaust I mean like yeah. all jokes aside that really it, having to explain people like oh wait you can see well kinda but not really and it's like having to just to like people. you know there, I find myself at times where like god I just wish I could see again you know what I mean right. like, I'm sick of walking around with the cane I just want to get in the car and go and right. things like that kind of um, I mean the military burnt me out pretty bad yeah <laughs> that was um, but yeah yeah and I definitely feel like the other thing that's hard about being burned out is uh, that if you are doing something where you are always in public, where you are in the public eye, running a nonprofit, leading a business, leading any organization, as a society, we're all about mental health and breaking the stigma, which is great. But when we're, I feel like when we're actually dealing with it firsthand, it's really hard for us to understand that. Yep. And so you have these people now who have to be out in public 24 seven, essentially doing their job and they're, you're not allowed to have a bad day. How do you not get burned out doing stuff like that? You know what I mean? Like it's really difficult. That's why for me, like if I'm ever out in public, I'm usually wearing like sweatpants. Like I'm dressed for comfort because listen, <laughs> I'm just living my life right now. Like I'm just doing my best and I'm trying to not get burned out because most of my work happens 
at night and on the weekends. You know what I mean? But um, as far as dealing with being burned out, what kind of things have you found to be beneficial for you? Um, definitely boundaries. I, yep. you know, I, people would call me after hours or on the weekends and I'd say, Hey, I'll get back to business hours on Monday. Just establishing those guidelines early in the career so that I didn't feel like I had to answer everybody's questions right away. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie during COVID when we had to wear masks, I kind of liked it going out in public because people wouldn't recognize me. Yep. So I'd be at Target, I'd be with my mask on and my hat and no one would know who I was. And mm -hmm. it was kind of, it was kind of nice. Um, but it, you know, because a lot of people are, when they do approach, it's asking work questions. Right. Uh, my mm -hmm. husband deals with that as well, being the building inspector for I'm the village. Sure. He can't go anywhere with like, Hey, uh, you know, we're going to build a shed. <laughs> You know, he's like, I'm in line at Walgreens. Like, what yeah. do you want me to tell yeah. you right now? Yeah. yeah. And I told him the same thing. Like, you need to tell these people you'll get back to them on Monday during regular business hours because you have a life too. So, yeah. And I mean, my, my, my schedule with what I do is very flexible because there's a lot of nights and weekends. So I do make my own work hours, mm -hmm. which is very nice. Um, and just making sure I schedule in that time for, you know, working out is very important to me. I spend a good two hours every morning with a really solid morning routine. I know that sounds excessive, but I, you know, if I don't do it, my day is jacked. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that that's what I need every day. I even on Saturdays and Sundays, I'm doing my morning routine. Yep. It doesn't matter. Um, so those things have really helped me. Uh, to avoid, you know, that burnout feeling. It, I mean, it, it sneaks in, yeah. but but I know the tools that I need. If I'm really feeling like on edge, I'm going for a walk with the dog because I just, it, it, when I'm done, I feel so much better. And setting boundaries is really important. And we're at that weird time as far as like, again, uh, society's concerned where thanks to our phones, you're pretty much considered to be available 24-7 if you are in any sort of customer service type of industry. Uh, and I dealt with that a lot being in the customer service industry. People calling you at all times of the day and night to try to get an answer on something, which, again, leads to burnout. But what I realized was, like you said, if you set that boundary, most people are going to be totally fine with that. And the small percentage that isn't was the percentage that was going to have a problem no matter what. Yes. So it doesn't really matter because any like rational person, if I call somebody and they're like, yeah, I'll get back to you tomorrow about it. I'm like, okay, like, great, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't really think right. about the importance of setting boundaries, but now I respect it so much more because I also understand that you're your own person with your own life. And you need to kind of have those boundaries. Yeah. And like for me, I can say that there's certain industries, um, mental health industry, like people that they have to be there for their client or their patient. And there's no, so, so that's kind of a different situation. Right. So I can't speak to that, but I know there's different, it, it really varies upon the industry that you're in. Yeah. So, yeah. but taking breaks, well, before I get too much ahead of myself, I wanted to list some of the ways that I found, uh, and how to deal with burnout excuse me, per helpguide.org. Uh, so one, number one, turning to other people and what that meant, kind of like what Brad said about imposter syndrome, reaching out to loved ones, being sociable with coworkers, limiting contact with negative people, which is super important, I think, 
uh, connect with a cause or a community group that is personally meaningful to you. So that's one one uh, uh, way that they said you can deal with being burned out. Limiting contact with negative people is one of the most underrated pieces of advice I think you can give <laughs> yeah, to somebody. Yeah. Because it's, I, I very much think it's true that you are an average of like, what do they say, the five people that you spend the most time with. And like, if you constantly have somebody standing over you talking down or being condescending or whatever, like it's going to bleed into your life. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's super important. Um, the second way to deal with burnout, reframing the way you look at work, uh, the ways to do that, find value, find balance, make friends at your job and take time off. Another thing that we were just talking about, right? Um, last time I took a vacation. So Rob, uh, I'll, I'll use this as, as an example when I worked at Serta Pro because I worked for a friend of mine. He's like one of my best friends, Rob Smith. And the first time I took a vacation with Rob, he said, do you want to leave your company phone here? And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm going to take it with me. And I was on the phone the entire vacation, which is not a vacation. Because they say, what, it takes like three days or so to actually have your mind be ready to Is be in vacation. Really? It's something like it takes two to three days when you go on vacation for your mind to actually understand that you're in vacation mode. Like oh, it takes gosh. several days because you're so busy every day doing your normal thing. So like it takes a little bit of time. And if you never even get to enjoy your vacation, then it's like you didn't have a vacation. No. If anything, it's more stressful because you don't have all your resources available because you're in the middle of wherever you're at while you're trying to help some customer out with a problem. You ever been to Disney? Yes. That's not a vacation either. <laughs> oh my God. And I had nothing going on with that either. <laughs> Anywhere with children is not a vacation in the slightest. Oh, and like I said, man. I wanted to put a leash on my youngest one, but it just made her stronger, which is super <laughs> weird. Like she just, I don't know. She didn't like do well bulldog. with it. Yes. She is so ungodly strong for a two-year-old like she picks up gallon jugs of milk and water and carries them around the house she's tried to pick up a 24 pack of uh of bottled water and i'm like what are you doing cease and she's like it's heavy it's so heavy i'm like just a little savage you know she's what i mean your next uh strong man competition strong woman wait. competition oh entry I, yes I i'm excited wait. for I'm that i'm counting down for that um okay the uh third way reevaluating priorities so one thing that sarah you just mentioned that they said was so important when you're reevaluating your priorities is setting boundaries. It's so important to set boundaries, taking a break from technology, nourishing your creative side, setting aside relaxation time and getting plenty of sleep. And then four and five go together, uh, making exercise a priority and having a healthy diet, which also are two of the foundation, like fundamental principles for dealing with like anything mm -hmm. you're dealing with mentally. So another question that I had for you with a health coach, like I, you came into that into COVID, right? Mm -hmm. But you were kind of always about that life anyway, yeah. right? So yeah. it was just a pretty logical step for you. Yeah. So like exercise, healthy diet, all of that has already been a priority to you. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're 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 living what you're preaching, yeah. which is great. Uh, and why do you think the diet and exercise is always a foundation of any guide in helping people dealing with any sort of stress or mental health related issue? The body is meant to move for mm -hmm. one, like. Yep. If you're sitting behind a computer screen day in, day out, it's your body just can't handle that and right. your mind can't handle that. You need that movement, um, obviously, and, and with nutrition, you know, it's pretty well known out there that that's going to fuel your body and, mm -hmm. and make you more clear headed and 
clearly and have the energy to do what you need to do. Right. Um, so yeah, it's always been priority number one. And during COVID when that happened, I had a lot of downtime and that's also kind of a, I don't know if it's a fault of mine or not, but I had so much downtime that I thought I could get certified as a health coach. Why not? I'm not busy. This is the time. Take advantage of it, which I'm glad I did because I learned how to, to be a better listener, how to be a coach for one, which I'm, you know, going to be pursuing with this new business along with the consulting is that leadership coaching. Mm -hmm. So it all kind of plays together. Um, nicely. And, and, and I can really focus with those leaders about focusing on their health and their yes. wellness and their movement and, and all of that. Cause people forget. Oh my God. It's so easy to forget, especially when you are starting a business, starting an organization, whatever the case may be, where it's like 16 to 20 hour days, six, mm-hmm. seven days a week. You're yeah. not thinking about your health. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it goes yeah. on the back burner until it's too For late. Sure. So For that's sure. really important. Uh, and Brad, like how much weight are you down now? Uh, I've lost 20 pounds. How do you feel, Good buddy? Job. That's awesome. Right? I feel like a slice of butter, man. Killing. <laughs> Melting on a nice stack of flapjacks. I it, see you walking all the time. It's, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. He's yeah. preparing for his Appalachian Trail hike. That he's getting ready to Stop do. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting yeah. a crew of guys together. We're going to go out, and the goal is to hike eventually. The whole thing. All 2,200 miles, yeah. but we're going to break it up into pieces. Oh. Yeah. So how long is this hike? So the f- I'm probably going to go about like 10 days at a time realistically i mean that's probably what i can like with the kids and everything so you go 10 days and then what and then i'll we'll mark that point point and then next summer go back and pick it right back up very cool so how many miles a day We've been working on figuring that out. Like initially, we thought it was going to be fifteen. Well, I, we I talked was, to a couple of hikers, and they're like, "You're out of your mind." Well, like, when I first came out of the goal, I was like, "Oh, I'm super ambitious. Like, I can hike a lot. I was in the Marine Corps. I'll do like 25 miles a day. I can walk oh. super fast. I can walk. I can walk all day. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah no, no. no. Walking is not as easy. Sometimes I feel like it's harder to walk than run. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah but you're a big runner, right? Um, I I walk more now. I used to run. I run ran half marathons all the time, but I'm. Now that I'm in my 40s, I prefer walking. Yeah. I just, it just, and they found that walking is just as beneficial. Really? Yes. So, you know, people that put the pressure on, I have to go running. I have, no, you don't, you, you know, go for a walk. It's, you know. It makes me feel so much better. Get those 10,000 steps in. That's the goal. Like, that's always my goal. 10,000 steps. I'm good. I, I feel better the days that I get 10K steps. Even twelve, that's that's the days I feel the best is if yeah. I get twelve thousand steps. But my trainer actually told me that you burn more fat by walking yeah. than you do running. Yeah. That's really interesting. So that's really cool. But see, I'm just like walking my dog and here you're training for the Appalachian Trail. I, I now mean, I feel like I'm like I, <laughs> Man, I need a goal here. Our last episode we talked to <laughs> that's uh, awesome. um Blind, Lonnie Bedwell yeah. is a hundred percent blind. And what did he say for his warm up? He went down to Mexico and did some like eighteen thousand yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a mountain. Yeah, some like insane mountain. And meanwhile, I'm like, I get on the elliptical for two and a half minutes. <laughs> so we are not the same person, I guess, huh? It's winning in your book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's winning in my book. Well, so one thing you talk about, okay, so your morning routine. Mm-hmm. And you talk about two two hours being a little excessive. Or some might think it's a little yeah. excessive. I don't think so. And here's why. Like my morning routine is I have to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I have to. And that's like an hour and a half, almost two hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't I don't think it's really uh, out of the norm. 
but I think it's so important to set the tone for the rest of your day. Yep. And I feel like when you accomplish something that early before every before other people even get up, you take the day on with a bit of confidence knowing like, hey, I already accomplished something today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what is your morning routine and why is that so important to you? Well, um, I'm usually up by five mm -hmm. and uh, I'm you know, I, I get up, I drink my 30 ounces of water and I'm journaling and I'm reading something inspirational, um, or educational. And then from there, um, I have my coffee to get ready for my workout. I head in the basement, I do, you know, 45 minute workout. And then from there I walk the dog anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes. And then that's kind of my, my daily routine. And then if I need to cut that back, the walk gets pushed back to later in the afternoon. But that's a pretty solid way to just start your day up, I yeah. think. Yeah, I don't important. even have to think about it. Yeah. It's yep. what it is. Like, there's no decisions. Yep. None. Because when you have to include decisions in the beginning of your day, that's when it gets tough. Right. So it's just everything's laid out. This is what I'm doing. And it's automatic now. Yep. It's, it's, I've been doing it probably for 10 years. Yeah. It's so. effortless. It's part of your routine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's non-negotiable. And right. I think that's incredibly important too, to have things like that, that you do every morning to just, because then it's really hard to have those off days when you just are just, your body is bringing you towards doing those things. And if I don't go to the gym, my wife notices it because she'll notice mm -hmm. that I'm just a little bit more irritable yep. because I didn't get to start my day off the way I normally do. You yes. know what I mean? I do beat myself up because I've been wanting to incorporate meditation more and there's like the five minute meditation apps, which I've been using, but it's just like, but I want to get going with my day. I've already been. <laughs> yeah. In the morning, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, you meditate a lot, right? That's that's what I do every morning when I wake up. I yeah. meditate every morning. I have this app called Slow Dive. Okay. It was $70, but yeah. I mean, it's guided meditation. Yeah. It's about 15 minutes. Yeah. And you can feel the difference in the day um, when you do it. Yep. It's just doing it i couldn't do it in the morning because my mind would be racing so much that would be the hardest that's time a for good me to do it good point you would yeah. you would think but i mean i'm i mean for me anyway i've i don't know I, I, like anything else i think it just takes you just make it a pattern yeah uh, make it a routine like ashley my wife she has a meditation app and she'll do it at the end of the day which makes sense yep so yep. at the end of the day it's like a 15 to 20 minute thing and she'll put it on and she'll lay down light incense whatever and like that'll help her kind of I don't know what the word would be, just on, uh, just process her whole day and then just be ready to get some good rest. And like that totally makes sense to me. But my, it's so hard for me to slow my mind down. The meditation has always been very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Like I've always found my meditation to be in the gym because I have my music on, I'm in my own spot, I am focused on one thing, I'm unpacking things in my brain, or I love walking meditations like at the park. Mm -hmm. Like I can do that where I don't have any music. And I try to, it was a book that, um, I think the book that I gave to you, mm -hmm. um, You Are Here, yep. Thich Nhat Hanh. Loved it. He talked about walking meditations, just taking a step and saying, stepping with my right foot, I'm stepping with my left foot, and I'm breathing. And I did that a few times because I thought it sounded so silly at first. I genuinely got some benefit. I was like, oh, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Like I just feel... Like a little bit of a burden's off my shoulders now. I feel a little more comfortable. Like a slice of butter. Like a slice of butter <laughs> on flapjacks, just like you feel right now. <laughs> Always. Um, and now, okay, so imposter syndrome um, and being burned out are 
very closely related, and I wanted to bring that up too. That's why we have them both on this one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, per an article on the BBC from last year and a recent international survey of 10,000 knowledgeable workers, excuse me, knowledge workers by a US based work management platform, Asana, showed that 42% believed that they had experienced both imposter syndrome and burnout at the same time. Uh, when you see an individual who's suffering from imposter syndrome, they're more likely to burn out. And the folks who are burned out are more likely to be suffering from imposter syndrome, says Dr. Sahar Youssef, a cognitive neuroscientist researching workplace productivity at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business in California, who contributed to that research, which obviously completely makes sense. If you have imposter syndrome, it's going to make everything that you're doing that much more exhausting because you don't believe that you should be there and you're creating anxiety and all this other stuff in your head, which is then going to make you less care about what it is you're doing. And at some point you're going to distance yourself from it so much that like, yeah, it's going to cause depression. It's going to cause all these other issues. You know what I mean? So yeah, I thought, I thought that that was pretty, uh, important to mention. Um, and then, so Sarah, how do you feel like your experiences overall with imposter syndrome and being burned out have shaped you professionally? Like, are these things that come into play when it comes to being a consultant or health coach? I mean, how do you help others navigate through that stuff? Yeah, it's just uh, acknowledging it, knowing that it's happened, but reframing it in a way that it's like a learning opportunity. Like, okay, I don't know all the answers. How can I educate myself and immerse myself in this industry enough to where I can feel competent and help others. Um, and But that's where the, my love of learning comes in. And just constant reminding, you know, like, I got this. There's resources out there. You know, I don't have to know the, all the answers. And just by telling yourself that you don't have to know all the answers, it's so freeing. Yeah. It really is. And that was one of the feelings that I had when I was thinking of starting this consulting business is like, what if I don't know the answers? What if I don't know how to help this? But I will when I'm in the moment because every client and every organization is going to have a different issue. Yep. And so I will navigate that issue with them. I may not know the answer right away, right? you know, but I'll figure it out and we'll work together to come up with that answer. So that's uh, really all it is. Yeah. And I thought one of the things that I really took note of when you sent me over that bio, we're talking just a little bit about Athena, um, was board development. Mm -hmm. Like you specifically mentioned that. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. How important is that? Like, that's so incredibly important for any organization, any nonprofit, any anything when you're first starting to even figure out who should be on my board, how big it should be, things like that. What are the other big things as far as... uh, what you will be offering with Athena. Yeah. So um, in addition to kind of being that counsel for the leader, um, I'll be offering board development sessions, mm-hmm. workshops, and strategic planning workshops as well. Um, I've gone through several strategic planning um, sessions as, you know, in my role now as the uh, the president CEO of the chamber. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned a lot from that. And it's, it's, really important for organizations to have a plan, a a three-year strategic plan, so they know where they're going. Mm -hmm. So it's not, so when somebody comes to you and says, hey, have you thought about doing this? You're like, that sounds great. Let's refer to our strategic plan to see if it fits. 
it doesn't, nope, sorry. We can slate that for maybe a few years down the road. So important. And so yeah. you can be so much more focused on the mission that way. And it helps the board members too, because a lot of times board, most of the time board members are volunteers. And so that helps them to stay focused on that overall mission of the organization too. So, um, and also just that board education. Yeah. Uh, people don't always haven't had an opportunity to sit on a board. Many people, it's their first time. So training board members how to, you know, be active on a board, what their responsibilities are. Uh, it's it's all driving forces of a successful organization. Absolutely. And one of the most important things that you just mentioned that I personally dealt with when I first started Project Headspace and Timing in 2017, we were going in a billion different directions. Mm -hmm. And I had to talk, luckily, through uh, talking with a couple of people that manage really large, like national nonprofits, they were able to kind of help me refocus. And part of that was exactly what you're talking about. Understanding, okay, what is your actual goal? What is your three-year, five-year, 10-year plan? And then are these things working towards it or working against it? Like, yeah, I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, but other than that, Brad, what other questions did you have, my friend? Um, I just had a question. So you said you you mentioned you were a teacher. <laughs> I'm in school currently to be a teacher. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, awesome. Yes. Um, I was just curious, is imposter syndrome part of why teachers, why there is a teacher shortage, in your opinion? Do you think, you know, like they have to be the perfect teacher to everybody and please the parents and please the administrators and the students. And is that part of why there's a shortage and why teachers are getting burnout? out? I would say burnout's number one. Burnout's number I, one. I, I think most teachers, just speaking for myself, there, there was that imposter syndrome feeling, but I had such a passion for it and like loved the kids so much that that imposter syndrome wasn't there as much as just, the feeling that I couldn't do everything I could for the kids that needed it. And so, um, your job is never, ever done. Like it's the bell rings at two forty-five, but like, there's so much to be done still. And so I think the burnout and, you know, a lot of the schools do a really good job of incorporating, um, mental health and teacher appreciation. And I think that's super important Mm -hmm. and just, Teachers, sometimes it's just you don't get the appreciation. Right. And so that leads to the burnout. Um, So there's a lot of factors, and you just have to take care of yourself as a teacher and and know that you – the day-to-day can be hard, but your heart's in it because of the outcome for these kiddos. Yeah, and kind of with that, you know, you also talked about how – with Athena, you're going to be focusing. There's also a focus on burnout and imposter syndrome with the leaders of organizations too, because they can go through that stuff just as easily as anybody else. And there's not as much oversight with that because I think the boards are more focused with the day-to-day. They assume that the leaders just got it. And I just think to make a specific focus on that too is just, it's incredibly important. I think it's incredibly important. Um, other than that, do you have any other questions, Brad? Uh, I don't think I have any. I mean, you covered a lot of. Oh, uh, yeah, mental health podcast. How does the imposter syndrome and being burnt out? How does that really impact somebody's mental health on like a deeper, deeper level, if if at all? 
I think, I mean, it can spiral you into a depression. Um, kind of just you lose your motivation to to want to continue doing what you're doing. And um, so there's a lot of things that can happen that's associated with that. Again, that's why it's so important that companies and organizations are investing in the mental health of their employees. And I think we're starting to see more of a shift with that now. And I think like, mm -hmm. I don't know who was, who were the, the pioneers of that, but I do know that like, it seemed to me that like Google in California, when I was watching yeah. what they were doing and they had like little sleep pods and stuff, <laughs> yep. I'm like, okay, clearly they're trying to invest more into their employees because so many employees leave not because of the job itself, but because of additional stress mm -hmm. at that job, which is usually created internally. So it makes sense to pay yeah. attention to that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so before we close it out, uh, our new segment that we are starting this, uh, this episode is called We Are Fine. So we uh, had asked some of our listeners if they wanted to chime in on what they felt about imposter syndrome or being burned out, uh, any questions they might have, or just talk to us about how they dealt with it and they worked through it. So we had uh, the one that I'm going to read is from Pete, uh, from uh, – Yes, from Pete. And Pete says, hey, guys, really love the content here as it touches on some of the topics we're resistant to address simply because it hurts. Uh, I've dealt with imposter syndrome for decades and more recently burnout as a result of being a business director and a healthcare worker during the pandemic. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. Oh, my God. Uh, I found myself updating my resume a lot, doom scrolling job openings and often feel like the face I'm presenting to the world is not really me. I'm just tired, and I've never really felt like I ever get a break. More recently, I've taken to asking myself the following questions when I find myself in the burnout rut when I, and when I'm tasked with an immeasurable to-do list. One, should I be accepting this work before taking time for myself? Two, is there any benefit to me or my family by taking on additional work? And three, what are my goals for the next month, year, decade, and does this work get me any closer to those goals? When I'm burned out, I often find myself chasing cheap dopamine in the form of bourbon, video games, and social media. When that happens, it's time to, take, uh, to make some tough choices and to start saying no to people. For an introverted people pleaser, it's one of the toughest things I ever have to do. However, I'm no good to anyone if I'm not myself. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Pete. What a just great addition yeah. that he had. Yeah, I really appreciated absolutely. that because, yeah, should I be accepting this work before, before taking time for myself? That is, I never even thought about asking mm -hmm. myself that question because I'm always the type of guy where I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And we just run with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I thought that was incredible. Is there any benefit to me or my family by taking on additional work? And then again, what comes down to what you do, um, what are my goals for the next month, your decade? Does this get me closer to that goal? Focusing on what your goals are because it's so easy to lose track of that. I just thought that that was very cool. Like creating your that. own strategic plan, you know. That's super important, right? I mean, they used to kind of harp on that, I feel like, more where people would ask you as an individual, what's your five-year plan? As a family, yeah. what is our five-year plan yeah. or 10-year plan? So I thought that was really important. That was interesting that he mm -hmm. mentioned that. 
I don't think I've oh. ever had a ten-year plan for. I can't even no, figure out what neither. I'm what I'm doing for dinner tonight. Things let alone change so much, uh, right? Yes. <laughs> That's why a two to three-year plan is a little more, you know, yeah. achievable. Sense. Yeah, because two years kind of goes by faster than we think. Yeah. yeah, like I found an article for twenty from 2019, and I was like, 2019 was almost four years ago. Which is crazy. It's so weird. It feels like it was yeah. last year. It feels like it was like last year, but that was pre-COVID times. Yeah. It's a year. My 30s this year. You're going to hit your 30s? Hit my 30s this oh, year. Oh, man. Get ready for the Watch joint out. pain. I can't wait. Lots of joint pain. <laughs> Stop it. Joint pain and then just complaining about young people. And you start going to McDonald's Don't at like four in the morning. No. You know what I mean? There's a party at the Mantino McDonald's, by the way. Like if you've ever gone to the McDonald's at like four in the morning. Why the... are you going to McDonald's at four in the morning? I was traveling somewhere. Okay. I was like going to get on an airport and I needed coffee and I forgot to make some. And there was like 40 senior citizens oh, yeah. having the time of their it's lives in that McDonald's. I was like, it's like a party. Because you know they get free coffee, I believe. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, if you're a senior citizen, you get free coffee. No, that makes sense. So I that's a thing. I them. Uh, not yet. I think you've got to be like 60. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, you got some time. Maybe by the time you finish the Appalachian Trail. Maybe then you'll be able to. <laughs> you'll time. get your free cup <laughs> of coffee. I'll get my free cup of coffee. All right. <laughs> um, and Sarah, thank you so much again for being on here to talk about your experiences with both imposter syndrome and being burned out. If people want to follow you and your future efforts and everything like that, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, so all this is brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, I will have my website up and running. It's going to be athenaadvisory.com, and there's just one A mm-hmm. in the middle there. Uh, or you can follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, all the things. So. Very cool. Yeah, I'm very excited, and I appreciate you guys having me on. And this is something that's very important, and people need to acknowledge it. And it's hard for leaders to admit it because they think they have a shortcoming if they admit it. And so I'm glad you brought this to light. Yeah, like I said, I learned so much just from that one episode of Renegade Woman that I didn't even think about before. And so I can't thank you enough for doing what you do. So Thanks. But uh, so for now, Brad, do you have anything else? No, that's it. Okay, okay. Well, I hope that we helped you today go from being fine to being fine. Uh, And if nobody told you, don't forget that the I'm Fine crew loves you too. So thanks for tuning in.